Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. Customer experience is the new competitive battleground, and to compete at the highest level, you've got to have an edge. I'm Patrick Hawhey, presenter of the Vox Pro Studios podcast series. We're all about beautiful customer experience, and this podcast is all about giving you that edge. Welcome to Vox Pro Studios. And make sure that you never miss an interview with the masters of customer experience by hitting that subscribe button right now. And please do give Vox Pro Studios a rating and a review if you like what you hear. Now, the freemium model is a particularly fascinating one as it requires a very specialized form of customer and user experience in order to successfully turn users of the free version of your product into paying customers with lifetime value. Now, Dropbox has mastered this model and managed to term, turn the freemium business model into a powerful SaaS growth tactic. The company has also managed to thrive in a market that has become fiercely competitive over the last few years. And it has also found a very clever way of substantially growing its non-freemium Dropbox business products. To, refe- to reveal how this has all been done, I'm joined by Adrienne Gormley, Vice President of Global Customer Experience and Head of EMEA at Dropbox. Adrienne, welcome to Voxbo Studios. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here, Patrick. And it's been a crazy few years. There's been a lot of growth, a lot of different things happening within Dropbox, all of which we'll get to. But first of all, um, everyone will know Dropbox. They'll know the name if they don't use it. But very briefly, what is Dropbox and what do you guys do? So Dropbox is a SaaS company and we provide the world's biggest global collaboration platform. It's a place where people can store their files, share their files, collaborate on projects and documents and work collaboratively across the globe. At this stage, we now have well in excess of 500 million users, over 300,000 paying teams in businesses. And so that growth has really come about from our freemium model originally. It's fascinating. And and as you mentioned, the, the consumer side, the user side, and also the business side. And the two are linked in a very, very interesting way. Something that I would like to come to in a few minutes time with you. But first, can we start by looking at the consumer market? Okay. Um, from a customer perspective, stage one is getting people to take that free account to enter their details and just get that. Was it two gigs of two gigs of free That's space right. that you get to storage at the, at the start? So, how do you approach that first stage, that top of funnel, just getting everybody in first? Well, I think the the key to to Dropbox's success has been virality. The product just works. It is so simple. We've put a lot of effort in making the user experience very easy, very straightforward. And people simply use Dropbox and then they tell their friends about it and they share links of files or photos with other friends and people sign up and and use it. I travel across the globe and everywhere I go, people know Dropbox. Taxi drivers from airports tell me they use Dropbox. So it's widely known and, and huge use. Okay, and I think the the reason it has been so successful from your perspective is that you seem to break it down very simply. And I came across a quote that you gave, maybe in an interview or a talk at some point or in an article, and it says, we have to think about the job customers want to do. What are they trying to do with our product? How easy, how easy is it for them to do what they need to do? 
that's, it's that jobs to be done sort of perspective that just breaks it down, doesn't it? Absolutely. I, I think when, when we're all consumers, we're all uh, users of products. And many times you see and you use products where a company wants you to do something in a particular way, but you have a, a different use for it or you are trying to do something slightly different. And I think what Dropbox and certainly the, the freemium model was doing was just enabling people to do what they needed to do. And that's one of the things that we take very seriously across our entire product suite, particularly in the business world. People have many different use cases and making sure Dropbox is enabling them to do what they've purchased Dropbox to do. That That is all hinged on listening to, as they say, the voice of the customer. So how do you listen to the voice of the customer so effectively? I think one of the, the, the roles of my team is is to do that across our consumers, our paying consumers, so our free users, our paying uh, consumers, and our all of our businesses right up to enterprise. Um, and it's about setting up what I call listening posts. And that may be listening to um, the customers when things go wrong. So looking at all the transcripts of calls and emails when things don't work. It's about the sales team giving feedback from what they hear from customers. It's about different forums such as customer advisory boards. What do customers want from the product? Listening to maybe features that they like, not just problems that are going wrong. And then conducting real intensive user research as to what customers might like to do and might want to be able to do with Dropbox. And making sure all of that feeds back into the company. It's never enough just to listen to customers because if you're going to listen, then you need to do something with the information that you then get. So then it goes into feedback loops and learning systems within the company, making sure that all of the teams, whether it's product or uh, design, engineering, it could be finance, um, it could be any part of the organization, making sure they hear the customer's perspective and can incorporate that into their processes, their infrastructure, the way they're developing the product. And one thing I've noticed about, um, say, for example, the Dropbox Twitter account and some of the content you're sharing, it's very educational. It's very, you know, this is, you know, have you learned that we've got this thing and how are you using this thing? So do you put a lot of focus in once people are in, say, at the freemium stage, which we're concentrating on just for now, um, that they, they get the best use out of the product? Yes, I think. I think it's one thing to sign up for a product. Uh, it's a very, very different thing to actually use a product. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who has downloaded apps onto their phone once and then wondering what they are six months later because I've never actually used them and I'm not quite sure how to use them. And so one of the the, the bigger teams in, in my world is customer education. And thinking about how do we get people, it's not just about downloading, but understanding the value that Dropbox can bring to to whatever they are trying to do. And also helping to educate what different products um, from Dropbox can do for them. So maybe you're an individual user, but maybe you're a small business owner who would benefit from having a business product and understanding why it's not just about generating revenue for Dropbox, it's about making sure that you've got the right product that fits for you. And then, so does this tend to be the the, the educational side of of the, the, the process, does this tend to be something that customers have to kind of 
come and go looking for and you can make it easy to, f- to find it but are you expecting them to look for it are you trying to reach out to the customer in some way once once you have you know an alert that you have this many users and, and they've just signed up are you reaching out to them in some shape or form so we 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 have a variety of channels so we we reach out uh, in in campaigns um, we make sure they're aware of the educational resources that may be available to them depending on the product that they have. We're also working very closely with our product and development teams to build in-product education. And we have a philosophy in the customer experience team around making sure education um, arrives in the moment of need. So it's one thing when you sign up for an app and you go through a tutorial And you're only looking to do one small thing with it. So you don't actually need to know the other eight features, but you have to go through some sort of a tutorial. And then six months later, you've totally forgotten about that. In fact, six days later, you've probably forgotten about that. So how, and I think this is a really interesting problem to solve, how do you um, ensure that a user gets the educational moment exactly when they need it, when they're about to do something new with the product? Or maybe they're doing two or three things and we know from our data when customers do that, they're likely to do the fourth or the fifth and need the other features. How can we then present uh, information that enables them to start using those other features? And that's where AI uh, and, and automation and so on gets very, very interesting. This, the bots and the bots and the like have really transformed this and Absolutely. opened up phenomenal opportunities, but also ph- phenomenal challenges because I suppose we're all figuring out how to best use them. Yes, yes. And I think um, the chatbot's a really interesting um, animal, I suppose. I had a recent interaction as a customer with an airline that shall remain nameless. And I found myself in a circular logic with a bot. (laughs) And uh, if I could have put my hands around the virtual bot's neck, I would have. um, Because I was trying to ask a question the bot couldn't answer Mm. and there was no way out. Mm. Um, I believe... The, the the chatbots and, and any AI or any automation should be enhancing the customer experience and should be making it frictionless. And there are many situations where you can introduce AI and automation uh, for potentially, at this stage, transactional type um issues that a customer may have or introducing for example an education if you understand customers do a b and c then they're likely to do d that's a little bit personalized and you're helping to introduce something but there are many things that at this point um the chatbots are probably not suitable for and it's making sure you're able to address that balance of how to get to a human very very quickly um but for me i I see AI as a way of enhancing the customer experience as opposed to a way to make us do everything faster, cheaper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of chatbot strategies are failing. It's just they're simply seen as a cost-cutting mechanism. I think that's that's right. I think that's right. Okay, so that was stage two. That's where you have someone in using using, um, Dropbox for free. Um, You're educating them. You're giving them a lovely experience. So stage, the next stage is getting them to sign up for one of the more premium accounts, more storage, more features. Um, I assume, first of all, that you only expect a certain amount of people to do that. Is there like, did I read something about like the 5% rule where the 5% of paying customers are, you know, uh, basically allowing for the 95% of premium customers or something like that? Is that the way it works? I think what, what we do is, is as we look across business users, we see uh, a lot of users who are consumer users. 
And with our business products, we've built in many, many uh, enterprise-grade security features that make the product much safer, much more secure, and much easier to use when it comes to collaboration, when it comes to sharing large files, having uh, a lot of extra storage, and so on. And so really what we can do is we can see users in a company that may be using a, an individual license and being able to turn that into a business product for the company mm-hmm. makes it much, much more secure and then enables teams to collaborate in a quick, easy way. And that's really what Dropbox is, is aiming to do for people in the workplace. As you know, we're hitting the future of work and workplaces are changing with regard to where people are based and how they they collaborate with content, how they coordinate content and how they communicate. Uh, Dropbox is 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 really turning into a platform that enables them in that way. So, OK, so to, to move back a small stage, maybe when you want to get when you're trying to nudge people from that freemium account up to maybe one of not a business account, for example, but something, you know, one of the the, the the consumer uh, premium accounts. How are you trying to n- make that little nudge? For example, maybe it's something like: um, is that a, is it a re- was it a recent announcement where you people have so many devices now, and you you you've brought in a, a sort of a, a, a mechanism whereby you can access Dropbox with on three devices, but beyond that, you have to step up your your subscription a little. Would that be an example of? Uh, That's an example. Um, another example is with uh, storage, so so a lot more storage. And then increasingly what we're actually seeing are, are more of the uh, collaboration features. So it's not just a place to store your photographs or, or your home documents, but actually you're able to do a lot more um, with those documents and you're able to work collaboratively with those and share them um, uh, more than with the, the free product. So yeah, and that's the thing because it it it's been an interesting few years because I suppose Amazon and Google Google have come in with you know huge storage offerings probably tried to they've got into a little price war between themselves, um, which is having a downward pressure on pricing. And I suppose what companies like Dropbox have had to do instead of trying to get into the whole price war thing is is maybe evolve the product and make it more attractive than what Google or Amazon are offering. Is that is that what you've done? And that, is that where the collaboration is coming in and seeing where what else can people do with this product rather than simply store stuff? Absolutely. And I think Dropbox defined the file sync and share category or FSS, as, as Gartner calls it. And we have seen the world shift from keeping files in sync which is where Dropbox started, uh, to keeping teams in sync. We have, you know, some of the biggest repositories of documents uh, in the in the world, and we see how people want to work collaboratively on those documents. So once upon a time, it was enough to share a link so that I could send you something and you would get it no matter where you were in the world. Now people want to comment on it; they want to work together on it. We have uh, products like Dropbox Paper, which enables people to embed various different links and work collaboratively on projects and so. On. And that's really where we're beginning to to uh, to see huge potential for for where Dropbox can go and what Dropbox can deliver. And I think and it, what fascinates me to touch on what you mentioned a couple of minutes ago is that your your best sort of um, salespeople are your your five hundred million users, you know, and that and that's so. I suppose in terms of how you sell the product, it, it's not so much 
you're selling it. It's it's that the people are having such a good experience, your your users, that they're selling it. I I think that's true. Um, though I will put a, a a voice in for our wonderful and excellent sales team who uh, definitely have a hard job and are are out there working hard. Um, the the yeah, I, it comes back to if you think about the the basic tenant of customers, it's you want to retain them. Um, we are a software as a service um, company, which means all of our revenue is up for renewal. Every single penny of our revenue is up for renewal every 12 months, if not on a monthly basis. Yeah. And we need to earn the right to have customers renew. We need to earn their loyalty. So um, there are cheaper products out there. There are bundled products out there. So why would somebody continue paying for Dropbox? Well, because we're delivering features um, that other products maybe don't have, because we're delivering a great user and customer experience, and uh, because we look after customers when they sign up, we make sure that through their journey with Dropbox, when things go wrong, we have our safety nets there. If things go wrong, we can improve things. Um, and we're also making sure that they are able to do what they need to do in work. We're making them more efficient, um, more productive, more creative in the work environment. Back to the jobs to be done exactly. approach and that's it. So yes. what, how, how is our product allowing them to do their job better or live yes. their lives better? Yeah. That's a very clever way to do it. I, I have a real thing around, you know, how can we make sure our customers, if their fingers are on a keyboard doing the work, how do we not interrupt that? Yeah. Uh, and how do we make sure that Dropbox is just super, super smooth for them and making them do what they get paid to do? And isn't that, it's probably the case that the most sim- the, the products that feel the most simple to use are the ones with, that are the most complicated to put together. So there must be huge work in the back end and particularly probably in R&D. Um, and I'm interested as well in the that say your role uh, in the customer experience role and how closely you work with the product teams in terms of saying, guys, this is what we're getting back from our customers. This is the understanding we have of what they need. Now, can you build something to sort of or tweak something to, to make that more fitting for them? Is that do you work closely? We work super, super closely. And I think I've been in Dropbox for five years at this point. And in that time, our customer base has expanded uh, exponentially. The product suite has expanded. The complexity of the product and of our customer base uh, has expanded. And so we need to be uh, cognizant of all of that. We need to make sure we're getting feedback and bringing it into the development teams. So I have a team uh, that's sort of straddles the development team and customer experience, our product specialists. And they are really uh, technical experts on different aspects of the product. And they work closely with the engineers, with the product managers, and they work closely then with the frontline teams to make sure the frontline teams are able to help customers as and when they need. Um, I spend a lot of my time in uh, San Francisco uh, dealing with the the engineering managers, the product managers, um, and again, trying to make sure we have the best possible processes uh, for for the, the development teams to receive customer feedback because it's one thing for me to say, hey, this is broken, that's broken. But how do we give them feedback on an ongoing basis that's helpful and useful and that they can work with? And it's like what you mentioned earlier, you, you've, like, when you've got 500 million users, you've got an awful lot of data there and actually just crunching it, turning it into something that makes sense and is actionable, as they say. Um, must be an entire massive part of the whole process itself. 
I, that's right. And I, I think these days, big data is, is one of the biggest problems to solve. Our, our issue is not the, the data and, and what to collect. The issue is what, what insights to pull from the vast yeah. quantities that, that we have. Um, within the customer experience team, I have a team, um, customer analytics team, that looks at, at data. Our product team also has product analytics. How are people using it? Um, uh, we have marketing and, and, and sales and so on. And what we try and do is pull that data together so we can develop a, a 360 degree view of the customer. What are they buying? How are they using the product? What adoption uh, do we see? Uh, and from a, uh, a customer front line, what issues do they run into? What education paths do they follow? And so on. So uh, all of these roles require great talent, like talent, the most talented people you can find in the market. And, and it must be particularly now where we're reaching, you know, that competition for talent is at higher levels than it has been in a, in a long, long time, and that's in the U.S. as well as the, the as well as Europe. How do you try and stay on top of that? How do you try and attract the best talent and keep them in? It's a great question, and yes, I have a teams across the globe, from Sydney to Austin to San Francisco and in Europe. And every location uh, is a hotbed um, uh, and and a competition for talent. I think. What, what we do in Dropbox, we're not the biggest tech company, um, but we have an amazing culture. And what we do really, really well is, is walk the values. We don't just talk values. We, we really embody them and live them in a work environment. And what we do is we take a lot of time to look at the roles that we want to, to hire for. Um, we spend a lot of time really developing the candidate experience. We want somebody to come in and go through the experience as if they were the only, the crown princess or the crown prince of talent. And we do that for every candidate coming through. We want them to get a feel and a sense of what it's like to work in Dropbox. Um, sometimes when I have calls with, with candidates, I'll do what I call the health warning and I'll say, hey, we're, we're mad and bad and fast and it's great fun. And But here Here's what the reality is. Here's the, the good, the bad and the ugly. And really being transparent yeah. about what we are as a company. And that generally excites people. Um, and sometimes people say, oh, maybe it's not what I'm looking for. And then that's great to, to know up front. So I think what we really try and do is, is deliver that unique experience through the recruitment process. And then once people join, um, I'm, I'm very big on how to integrate people, how to onboard people in the right way and giving regular feedback being very transparent and and again we have a, a a strong culture of team we call it we not i um and also you know being worthy of trust and trust each other trust of our customers and so on so so uh, the culture is really strong in dropbox just to jump back to the candidate experience what some of the bits of big piece of research we're doing in Voxpro at the moment is around looking beyond the traditional interview process when it comes to recruitment. You know, that three people in front of you asking you a load of questions times three and you're out the door and you get a yes or a no. Do, at Dropbox, do you try and look beyond that? Do you, have you taken, say, slightly more creative approaches to trying to find those those best candidates? We tend not to have panel interviews. That, that, that always feels a little intimidating. And for us, it's about making sure the candidate is in a position 
to be as relaxed as they can be and to show up for who they are rather than be performing or on yeah. a show. We really want to get a sense of uh, each candidate. And one of the things we do is we have we'll have maybe maybe four, maybe six different interviews. They will uh, usually be in person, but obviously for global roles, we'll always try and use video conference. So there's some visual um, with, with the candidate. And then we try and make sure there's time for questions both ways. And what we'll do in each interview is to say, this is about the candidate figuring out if the role and if Dropbox is right for them. So it's not just a, I'm going to fire questions at you. It's about the candidate being able to ask us questions and get a sense of who they might be working with, different personalities. Is everybody saying the same thing? Are they all on a script or do they all have yeah. something different? And really trying to build a sense of, of, um, of what Dropbox is. At the end of the day, we want people who feel like they'll be a good culture fit and have something to contribute. And for me, that's been one of the biggest learnings of, of Dropbox recruitment is there's no point bringing in the best talent if they if they're not right for your organization and they're not in a role that's going to make them successful. So better to to figure that out earlier on. Yeah. It, and as well as diversity, um, we've spoken a lot about women in STEM and, you know, encouraging greater ratios, etc. Is, is diversity something that you keep in, in mind when you're approaching talent acquisition? Uh, diversity is huge for us. So Dropbox is one of the tech companies that that publishes their their diversity information. Um, in in North America, it's important along gender lines on on URM or underrepresented minorities. Uh, in Europe, uh, we're we're very focused on gender diversity, and that starts from recruitment. So when we're looking at who are the hiring panels, making sure there's a diverse hiring panel, we also do diversity for ourselves. Not So if you're a salesperson, you're not just going to be interviewed by salespeople. We might have a finance person or a customer experience person on the panel, um, but it will be male and female. Um, we look at pipelines and CVs. So every week I have a recruitment re- meeting for my global team. And what's the pipeline of um, diverse candidates that we're phone screening or that we have on site? Um, and making sure that's very front, uh, front of mind for, for the recruitment process. And then in Internally, we always look at the data on diversity uh, along diversity lines when we're looking at our performance reviews, for example, making sure, you know, what does diversity look like for our high performers, our low performers, our in the middle performers, yeah. um, the promotion rates and so on. All of that is very much uh, central to to how we think. Yeah, and, and I don't expect you to have that in front of you, but anecdotally, I believe that diverse teams tend to perform very well. You know, when you have that level of a diversity within a team or within an organization, it does actually sort of pay off. I, I That has been my experience through through my career. I have found the the more diverse a team is, the more debate you're likely yeah. to have because everybody's showing up with a different perspective and it's not everybody thinking like one person or the leader. So because you debate something more intensively, then the likelihood is you're you're going to get to a better solution uh, and and move forward. And you've thought about things from different angles. And so for me, diversity is a no brainer. Um, And it's, you know, our background, gender, whatever it may be. I love having a diverse team around the table. And particularly in the customer experience role, because your customers, (laughs) you're not going to get more diverse. diverse, Believe it or not, (laughs) as are most companies. Exactly. So makes even more sense. That's absolutely right. Okay, I'm going to ask you, we've spoken all about Drop, Dropbox, has been fascinating, but I, I'd like to talk about a different company for a moment because I'm going to ask you to pick 
um, a company. I'm sure there's many, but if you just focus on one, um, a company that you feel is best in class for customer experience. I I think there there is one company that that has inspired me, um, and it's uh, it's Zappos. They are a shoe company, and anyone who knows me knows I like my shoes. But more than that, they've inspired me for their customer experience story. The founder Tony Shoe was uh, a, uh, a genius in thinking about customers and making an entire organization be focused on customer service and they're based in Las Vegas now and they have schools and tours for companies to go around and get an understanding of how they have such a customer centric ethos and how they 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 think about customers and um, it's a fascinating company but I think not every company takes that approach and that doesn't mean there's not really great stuff being done out there and I love I I love as a customer looking around at companies that do things to make things frictionless and to make things easy uh, for for people to use and so you know I have a very simple example with a bank where there used to be a horrid process that they would put my credit card on hold every time I traveled because I didn't ring them up and go through some sort of a press one for this, two for that and wait 20 minutes to tell them I was traveling. And I traveled extensively. So they would just hold my credit card in some shop in San Francisco or wherever I may have been. And I used to ring up and complain. And this just would happen pretty regularly. And then they did something that that totally surprised me. Uh, one time I was away and I was at a checkout and I was expecting credit card to go on hold because I hadn't rung them. And they instead I got a text and it said, um, have you just spent, uh, is this tr- transaction legitimate or, you know, for whatever it was, uh, text Y or N. I texted Y and two seconds later, my credit card worked again. And it's those kinds of things that we need to be really, really clever about. Um, and, and that's where I admire companies when they fix a customer problem or make something frictionless and easy. You know, uh, apps that recommend things. Amazon does a good job of recommending books. I'm a, a an avid reader, and they they do a really good job of recommending books to me. That's what I like. Know me, uh, know me, and help me. It's that personalized experience it that is. that everybody wants. Finally, yes. Finally, there is a sort of return for giving our personal data, that's our right. personal details. We're getting something back, and I yes. think that's and is that so? Just to 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 finish on a, a little bit of a look ahead. Do you just see those levels of personalization and frictionless experience growing more and more um, over the next few years in customer experience? Absolutely, because I think as customers, that's what we come to expect. Um, I think one one example uh, is Google Maps, where you know it just gets better and better as a product. And and uh, I have a bias from a previous li- life. I did work with Google Maps uh, and, uh, and worked on that project. But one of the things that it does is uh, it now tells me how to get to the restaurant. We all know that. It tells me it's going to take me 12 minutes to walk to the restaurant. But if I leave at 6 and the restaurant doesn't open until 6.30, it tells me that, oh, you're going to get there too early. And how useful is that? It's fantastic. fantastic. Mm. But now I expect that. Yeah. That's my new baseline. Mm. And so now Google Maps needs to do something better to, to and other um, competitors need to do something better to compete with that. And so as consumers, I think we are going to drive uh, pushing customer experience because as it improves and gets better, we'll expect more and more. And the technology is there to, to, to deliver that. 
Adrienne, continued success with um, Dropbox. It's a fascinating product and the evolution has been fascinating as well. Um, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's Adrian Gormley, Vice President of Global Customer Experience and Head of EMEA at Dropbox. Thank you, Patrick. Been a pleasure. Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. And for more insights from the masters of customer experience, you can subscribe to the Vox Pro Studios podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out voxbrokegroup.com for all of our latest articles, ebooks, and CX thought leadership. For now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Vox Pro Studios, where insights live.